Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransinc.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 244. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Also, Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657 4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn about your financing options at agdirect.com. Joining me today is Tim Whitley, CEO of TMSI, which is that's probably where you probably recognize Tim at the most, but he's him and his company have gone out and started a new branch called SIEQ. And Tim, it's always great to have you on the podcast, man, because you bring a lot of great information about what's going out there on the digital world. So, Tim, how you doing, man? Man, I'm great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And, you know, uh, we were just at the Moving Iron Summit together, and we presented a lot of information and get, accumulated a lot of information from people that I think people are definitely going to want to listen to for year 22 so i think it's i think it's going to be good yeah so 21 brought a whole new tilt back another layer of the onion of the digital world coming out of covid and and how that all worked and then where we're at now but before we jump into all that tim talk about yes, what you're doing with sieq and, and kind of what that is and and what's that the spinoff of um when you start talking about team si yeah so team si is the the our uh, holding company basically, and our SIEQ division is all agri business. So typically, we have done with you with the equipment world, but now since we know the customer journey of farmers and business owners that search for CCE and all this stuff, we have all those journeys mapped out uh, with first party data for the past eleven years, man. I mean, it's we've been doing it since it wasn't cool, right? And so. Mm-hmm we decided to finally build a whole new company that's just dedicated to agri business. So if you just, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you have nothing to do with equipment, but you are in 
uh, selling soil, fertilizer, solar, whatever it is, we have all of that mapped out. And those are the same people that are purchasing products uh, that the Team SI has always been after. So those that's the real the big real reason in just diversifying and including more about the farming community because the reason that I love the agri business is because we're actually doing something to help the world and feed the world and clothe the world. And so we just wanted to dedicate more resources to it. Right on. Very noble venture there that you're going into. So I guess, Tim, as you uh, take a look at, at what you, what, you know, 19, we had, well, you know, going into COVID 20 was a whole brave new world that we came into. And then 21 is kind of the, uh, the story after the story. And, and I guess, as you look at coming into 21, what were some of the biggest takeaways you came from um, through that journey through 2020 and the shutdowns and stuff like that? COVID? So what was interesting and foretelling a little bit was in 2020, before the world quote unquote shut down on March 13th, um, in February, late February, we were all at a conference with um, deer dealers, J-Doug, right? And what was funny is I was on stage and I was talking about the growth of e-com and we needed to be there, et cetera. That was my whole presentation was on e-commerce. And then March 13th hit and you have Google Trends that just completely just spiked, I mean, skyrocketed to where even our Google reps as being a Google Premier Partner were like, we have no idea what's going on. And their algorithm was so messed up to where the automotive world, they actually decreased when the agri world spun up by 23% of search queries. So think about how many people search for agri business and people, it was a 23% increase overnight on, on, on the 13th. Now there's a story to this and they were searching for agri products. And the thing is on the automotive side, cost per clicks increased with a decrease of people searching, Agri increased in number of searches, but decreased on cost per click because the algorithm had no idea what the heck to do with it. And because um, we rely so much on algorithms. I want to make something very clear. There's a lot of people out there that are saying COVID brought the e-commerce and brought this new life to Agri. That is not true. It accelerated it. We, we've been talking about it for 11 years. And I've been watching the patterns. All it did was accelerate it. Now, what I found interesting from uh, FY20, when you're comparing to FY21, is we had another increase in search queries by 21% over 2020, for agri-related stuff. So for example, if you're searching for a piece of used equipment, it's captured. If you're searching for new equipment, it's captured. But like I was telling Casey at the Moving Iron Conference and, and on different conversations is what was interesting in 2020, that March to about mm, October, which is usually not your typical uh, timeline for high season, it went all, it was very, very high all the way through October. But here was the tricky part is you had one query, but then you had about six pages of in-depth information. So one query and then six pages of trying to find the right piece of equipment for them. FY21, it went down to three. So one query equaled three. 
So it's like in 2020, we just educated everyone. And then in 21, what the data was showcasing was people were just not looking that far in depth. Now, there are some cases, as I was telling Casey, was uh, in some of those cases was inventory near me was up 500%. Um, and they were just finding, trying to find the nearest solution to keep them operating, which I found very interesting. And, and Casey, you and I were talking about, you know, when you were shopping for your uh, exercise machine. Right. Treadmill, yep. Yeah. Yep. So the content's king. It will right. continue to stay like that. And it's the same thing we've been preaching forever. It just accelerated everything. Yep. All right. So now, now that you, here we are through 2021, and we've kind of made that, that transition um, going into 22, what, what do you say is the, the big driving factor? Like you said, they're trying to find the, the closest thing to where they're at, those kind of things. But what, what's that big driving factor you think that's going to, to change in 21 that's going to factor over into 22? Do you think it's going to get even less to where they're going to be going down from six to three? Now they're going to be down to like one or two. Is that, is that something you're, you're anticipating or do you, do you really fully see that, you know, you know, I always say the second page of a Google search page is a great place to bury a body because nobody, <laughs> nobody looks there. But yeah. if, so when you, when you're talking about that first, you know, getting past those, those first five or six ads that are on the Google search page, and then you get to those organic listings down there at the bottom is it the ads that are going to be more driving people to look at their product? Or is it going to be more that I'm going to go try to find, cause I try to go to the organic thing and yeah. I feel like I'm getting a better, a better amount of information. Relevant it's search. Not, it's yeah. not driven towards me. You know, some flash in the pan trying to catch my attention thing. This is yeah. actually what I'm trying to find. So I guess when you look at those things, what's your thoughts there? Our forecast for 22 and I keep getting years mixed up because it's like, I keep living. I'm still trying to get over 20, but in 22, our forecast is the queries. I, I don't think we can do another 20% increase year over year. I mean, that's unsustainable growth, right? For the number of search queries in the agri business. And this is per household, right? So it, it's not just number of random queries. It's, it's unique. And so I don't think we're going to see another 20% above. I do think we'll see a little bit above, probably in the... Uh, uh, five to twelve percent growth, but not not anything significant. Now, the number of pages, I'm still not clarified. I, I don't know that yet, Casey, because when we're talking to a lot of our dealer partners and manufacturer partners, inventory is on their mind number one, right? And so, it's it's going to be on a location by location basis. I have a feeling of where the inventory sits. And what, um, how the dealers are handling that messaging. So some dealers are doing like uh, call to actions of like only three left, hurry up, or um, just nonchalant, just saying, hey, we have tons of them, just pre order. Uh, so you got different mixes of different messaging, which is going to make that different for each AOR. <laughs> uh, but I do have a very strong feeling that uh, it's not going to. Uh, decrease uh, from three, I really do think it's probably going to be around the four to five area, but we'll have to wait and see. Okay. So inventory, big, that's a big thing on everybody's mind right now. Not because there's too much inventory because of utter lack of inventory. And 
you had brought up at Moon Art Summit, you did, worked with some dealers that were doing stuff on their websites as far as, you know, uh, um, we buy type stuff. You know, we buy whatever, bring your equipment in, we'll give you, we'll buy it from you off on the spot type thing. How has that worked? And and what's the reaction to the to to the equipment journey do, working through that side of the of the business? So the that thing is you're kind of testing waters in each AOR. So right. when we've been implementing those things inside of each AOR, I can tell you that your AOR on the West Coast is definitely going to be different than somewhere in the the uh, uh, Central Plains, right? So. Right. Let me let me give you a quick example. So, and actually, in our study that we did in the summit, we asked this, but um, we w- there are there were a number of dealers that just like the automotive side, and you know how much I do in automotive, and I even have uh, ownership in some automotive dealerships. Is we had to do a we buy campaign. That was all we had to do. Uh, that's all we could do in the automotive world because we had no inventory. And, and the only way was to get those people in to sell their vehicle. And so we would purchase that vehicle. Well, so some of that, when we saw a huge win there in the automotive industry, we started to dot the lines in the agri and doing it with a few of our dealers, which did work. And then a few, it didn't work. Right. But then, um, we started on the new equipment side of, of labeling how many units were left at the dealership. And if you do that, yes, it may scare you, but by gosh, we sure did. We drove them because there's nothing like being said, you know, there's two left in stock. Amazon does it all the time. Why do they do that? Because that's a huge call to action to actually do something before that two goes to zero. So a lot of our dealers were labeling Hey, only three left, only four left, et cetera. Email marketing, uh, uh, the SEM ads, all the ads all, all set at the same message because frequency is key in any kind of marketing message. And that's where we were driving heavy results. And then after that, it was all about um, place your order for next year, which to be honest, Casey, I was actually very surprised how well that worked um, because you know, I, I figured that we buy because I saw the customer journey and, you know, I'm a data driven person. So I always have to have data crumbs to get me to the end result. And I didn't have the data crumbs to see is the is the um, uh, forecast of uh, purchase now deliver later. Is that going to work? Because we had no data crumbs on that. Yeah. And I was actually surprised how many of our dealers it worked in. Everyone we tried that in. I would say about 85% of it worked, which really surprised me. And I know that's about new equipment, not necessarily about used, but I think it does say something about the industry and about what we're going into with FY22 is that they still have to make a living, Casey. They still have to have their farm up and running, their equipment up and running, right? So what are you going to do? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, that's that's the point. I think people are are missing out on the still here. We have this, um, I don't know. There's this thing, you know, you still have to have a planter to plant your crops. You still have to have a tractor to pull your planter. You still have to have a combine to, to harvest your crop. All those different things that are playing in there. And the one thing about this time frame compared to any other time frame out there is that the overwhelming majority of um, the machinery out there is older than it's ever been as far as the overall fleet goes. I mean, 
even older than it was. You'd think like during the eighties, that, that time frame, there'd be older equipment in use and it wasn't. It was this is the this length of time has has the oldest fleet um out there operating. And there's gonna come a point in time when guys are gonna start making those decisions to move stuff forward. And and I think that's where we're at right now. I mean with quantity prices on farm income, those kind of things. Now twenty two told different things. You start looking at input costs and all that stuff to play into that. There's a there's a big upheaval right now in in that. So it'll be interesting to see how 22 shakes out, what that looks like. But you still have so to Casey on that Casey yeah. on that point about the oldest fleet, right? Mm-hmm. That that's interesting to me. And and you've told me that before at the summit. But that was always interesting to me because when I was growing up and we had a large ag farm in uh in West Texas, our fleet, I mean, we we had some case IHs that were just pink because they were so old right (laughs) Right. and like like that just amazes me because we thought we had a very old fleet and um of course we had new ones but then our older fleet was just old so that's that was really impressive when you told me that at the summit and now because i just can't imagine older right it's just on average if you look at that i mean most guys bought a brand new piece of equipment in 20 2011, 2012, 2013, something like that, and then did, haven't done anything with it since then. So they could be operating a, a, a seven-year-old combine, which isn't isn't necessarily um, unheard of, but in a lot of cases, to run a seven a combine for seven years for, with the same person running that combine is is not on the average, not on the norm. Most most combines are about every three to five years they're kind of swapped around, and that's kind of an average point there. So it's just a, it's a very unique thing. So, um, well, let's do this. Let's let's uh, share your screen and let's talk about what, yeah. what the data was that you that you came up from from the movie. Man, I was so excited. You actually uh, gave me this idea to capture information at uh, your summit, and I <laughs> jumped at it. Um, and so, I wanted to have a sense in your audience of where people were advertising, where the leads were coming from, where the sales were coming from. And this is used equipment mixed in with probably some new equipment uh, since your audience was bigger this this past season. And so the number one, one question, the first question was, which is more expensive as a channel to advertise? And we're actually talking here, the, the question was for used equipment was, is it your dealer website? Or is it a third-party website? And so the audience, holistically, uh, about 75% of them said third-party sites is where they advertise on, which is the tractor houses, the fast lines of the world, et cetera. And then uh, only about um, uh, a quarter, one-fourth, said your personal dealer website, which was interesting to me. And I think I said this on the on the stage is is uh, in the automotive world, even with the dealerships I have interest in, you don't have, we don't do anything with third-party sites because we don't want them to swim in the sea of our competitors. So I think this trend is still going to continue to change just like it has in automotive. But then I asked, so you you heard where where you were advertising, but this was interesting. Where do you generate most of your leads? 
Well, this is when it started to have discrepancies of the answers where it contradicted. So third-party sites was uh, number one, but then your dealer site, instead of it being a quarter, it is now half. So half of the audience said it was coming from your person, the personal website of uh, X dealer. And then we did have about, uh, I'm not good with fractions, but let's just say an eighth of people that said walk-ins, which are probably your potential people that are just calling, et cetera. But the discrepancy started to come in and say, okay, well, we're not, we're advertising a ton on third-party sites, but the leads uh, shifted to where half of them is your dealer website. So then we asked, where are you generating most of your sales? And this is, again, then more interesting, is that about five-eighths, so more than half, said dealer website. And then, but number one was still third-party sites. And then uh, the same as your dealer website, which was about five-eighths, was walk-ins. So it, 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 it kind of surprised me that we're putting all of our eggs when you're talking about advertising third-party sites. But when you look at the data, if you're doing on your dealer site, if you're getting the sales and the leads, all you need to pour is a little gasoline on that fire, which means marketing, to then drive people to your website so they're not fishing in the sea with the competitors. And then you're driving people to your own website, uh, just like what we all try to do. And then the last thing I asked was, how are you tackling incoming leads like how are you tracking how are you how are you quantifying them and so one the <laughs> the thing that scared me the most uh was piece of paper, piece of paper. and so <laughs> that scared me and that ranked number two so I'm, I'm doing rank number two first because that just surprised me we can't do that anymore there's way too many good crms out there casey uses uh, Salesforce, if I'm okay to say that, and then and then you know there's there's other ones like Hey Arrow that's just come on the market that's just been taking market share like crazy because the uh, usability of it, and and so then uh, uh, and and you have Handle as well for deer dealers, but piece of paper ranked number two on how you're tracking incoming leads, and that scares me, but it also brings a ton of opportunities. Like I want to take that slice of those dealers. And I want to work for those dealers to really show them how I can move the the needle by just holding accountability, tracking them, email marketing, dynamic advertising. Um, so like you said, if somebody's searching for a combine, only show them a com, uh, combines and display ads or Facebook uh, dynamic advertising instead of showing like a little lawnmower when they're searching for combines, you know? And so it's that dynamic stuff that we really started doing. And we're really started to do a lot of used equipment marketing. But I found that interesting. But you have to have a CRM at the end of the day. Now, last one was how are you accomplishing the need for inventory to sell? Um, and this is actually one I think I think you wanted to add in here because uh, um, you know we just need to find out. But trade-ins was number one by far. I mean, by far, by far. Um, dealer transfer was number three and then campaign for like, we buy was number two. So trade-ins and we buy are kind of somewhat together, right? Cause you're, you want them to come in for them to, for you to purchase that piece of equipment, but you're not going to turn them away if you can sell them something. 
So those two things are kind of tied together. And the dealer transfer was so low, which isn't really surprising because why are you going to give up a good piece of equipment if you can sell it? Uh, so that wasn't really surprising at all at that at that point. And then I just had to ask, because we did have new equipment people in there as well, is, is there a common theme for pieces of equipment you're selling? Attachments was an option, but attachments wasn't um, attachments wasn't queued in, uh, so it got zero. Large ag was 100%, and small ag was 50%. So I found that interesting as well. Yeah. So what's you, what, what is your feedback? What do you think when you hear all that data, mm-hmm. uh, Casey, and, and you're an expert that I really value? I mean, what, what do you think on that stuff? I think on the on the website side of it, there's not they, everyone has a website and people engage their website at, at varying degrees. So some people have their stuff. They have the third party sites more updated than updated than they have their actual websites updated. Right, so that's one thing. Um, I don't remember what site it was that you had in there, but there was the one in there that was where you where you generated most of your leads from, and your websites were half of it and. The third party one was the uh, was the biggest one, and the walk-ins one was the last. The majority of the people, uh, yeah, that one there. The majority of the people that are even your, inside of your area of responsibility may not be looking at your website. They might be looking at at the tractor house, the machinery, repeat, the fast line, or whatever it is to see what you have in inventory before they go to your website. So, as an industry, there's a there's a we there has to be a better way for us to get our websites the way they are and, and to grow those website, that website presence and, and driving that stuff there. Even when I'm guilty of it, I go out to all these third-party websites to look and see what's out there before I go and look and see what's at my neighboring dealerships on their websites. I just look at, narrow it down to a geographical area and take a look at what's what's there. And so to me, I think it's just a return in that corner. It's just, and I think 2020, 2020, obviously in 2021 has, has accelerated that, that corner that we're turning and websites and web presence are going to be a bigger push at dealerships in 2022 than I think there's ever been. Uh, Cause I think just the data is all there that shows that, you know, like the car business, the guy showing up to lot ready to buy something has done his research or her research. They've done it all. They know within, you know, 90% of what they're, what they're going to buy when they get there. And they've got to narrow it down to you know, this option and that option. And then they're, they're ready to move forward and they get there. They just want to see it first to make sure it's exactly what they think it is. And then they're going to, they're going to pull triggers. But like, like the Carvana's of the world, you're buying that 100% online. You're not even looking at it. You're just showing up. It's some guy drops it off at your house and you're, well, you go. And I think, I really think that the, the ag equipment world is not that far from that, that whole Carvana approach. And when that happens, that is a, you know, you talk about disruptors and I know how much you like disruptors and those kind of things. That's going to be a huge disruptor in, in the way we look at business and the way we do things. I mean, you have a combine, um, in a row crop tractor vending machine somewhere in downtown Phoenix or wherever, or middle of nowhere, uh, Nebraska or someplace like that. And then it's just stuff is just getting, it just shows up and you, you, you like it or you don't. And if you don't you take it back and you know, you get, get you a different one. And that's coming. And I think we need to figure that oh, out. Oh, I think. 
I do think so. If I had if I had billions of dollars, which I don't, uh, I would start the Carvana of of used equipment. I think the opportunity is definitely out there um, because of how cert- how people are searching. But let me go back to what you said on content. Think about so shoot, you know, eighties, nineties, uh, early two thousands when when all of our advertising was in print, basically. Right. And my mom owned a dealership, you know. And content still king. So, for example, in those print advertising, when you would place an ad in there, you would make sure you had a picture and you had the 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 correct information inside of that because you knew that by saying no image, no details, but call, no one's going to call. Right. And so you already knew that with print. But for some reason, when we navigated into the early 2010s for Internet, it was like, just get it up there really, really fast. But now it's coming to, okay, let's get it up fast, but let's get it up there right with the right content, the right photos, the right uh, uh, spray, the, uh, you know, spray wash the thing before you take a photo. Uh, make sure the details are in there. Like now we're finally starting to recognize, oh, wait, it was just like back in the day, but now we just apply it on this thing called the website. <laughs> so right. it, it, it's been interesting and doing video walkarounds. I mean, we have some dealers where we beg to yeah, do video walkarounds yeah. and now they are. And they're like, oh my gosh, our conversion rate just tripled. And I'm like, yeah, because yeah. they want to research it. Right. Yeah, I think the uh, the video side of this business is what, that, that's, that's going to be a huge differentiator between your web presence, right? I mean, I think the more, the more things you can do on the YouTubes of the world and those kind of things and also link that back to that piece of equipment, um, just as simple as starting the machine up, do a figure eight out in the parking lot and come back and park it, you know, 15, 20 second video. It doesn't have to be a, a five minute video of it out in the field doing whatever it's doing. It just has to see the smoke come out of the stack and that the wheels turn. And yeah. it didn't, it didn't blow up on you when you, when you got it you yeah. know, down the road. I mean, it's real simple stuff like that goes a long, long ways. Other things I've seen people do that I think is very like the walk around, you know, where they, guys talking about a piece of equipment this is a 2000 whatever and it's uh, got this many hours on it and you know the local guy owned it and he was really particular about blah 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 blah. he tells a whole story behind the machine and, and really dives into the details of what's going on there and that those guys and those machines like that when you can do that those machines sell pretty quick because again you're building that trust with the customer and then when they show up and actually see what it is yep it's exactly like you're telling me it was and i i want to have this machine and i think that that story behind the story is what is what people are kind of looking for, especially, you know, I'm in Iowa and I'm going to spend $300,000 on something before I come all the way out from Iowa or just trust you to drop it off. Oh yeah. I need to make sure that it's what you say it's going to be. Well, there was just think of it this way too. And we preach all the time about content, content, video pictures. A lot of people say, but resources, resources, but I want people to then put themselves in front of uh, how they shop for, you know, what you and I were talking about, like a Peloton or the right. perfect piece of equipment that you need uh, to make yourself a new you or whatever. You're going to do that research before you make that big purchase. And so if you just put yourself in the mindset of that individual with your mindset of how you research things before you purchase, because we all do it. Then you 
then you start seeing the dotted line. Sometimes we're always just a little too close to our business to see it. But when you step back and you look at, oh my gosh, I do this with small products, or maybe it's over a certain price point, you start going more in depth. Well, if we're trying to sell a combine for six figures, my God, I hope they're, I hope, I hope they're doing their research. Right. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. And they need to to understand what it is that's going on out there. So million moving parts, man. A lot of things going that direction. Last thought here, 2022, um, if you give one piece of advice to, from the, coming out of 21, one piece of advice to people listening to this right now, what would that be as far as their digital content goes? One, do not be afraid to market aftermarket. So parts and service. We saw that as a huge climb up yeah. and huge return. That's number one. And I know this is all about equipment, but I'm telling you, that's where your margins are too. You got to yeah. do it. If you don't have inventory, you got to have those margins. Don't be afraid to do that with your first party data. Two is don't be afraid to advertise used equipment that's on your site instead of spending all your money on the third party sites. Try to do something like our used equipment package where we do the dynamic stuff. When we get those signals, like Casey was saying, if one person is only looking at combines, then let's dynamically serve them a video creative that is dynamic and shows the combines that they just looked at on your website or other sites. And then we match it, we'll do lookalikes and that's dynamic creative video and then dynamic ads, et cetera, to do that as well. And then number three, if you're listening, you're like, okay, but what about new equipment? I'm so scared about the new equipment side is, man, all the data we've collected and everything, the pre-ordering works and the heavy call to action works where you say only three left at this location, only two left at this location. Yeah, you're going to run out faster. But if you need market share in, in a month to take a big jump, do it because it works. So those are my three pieces of advice, sir. Well, I would, those are great pieces of advice. So if folks want to get more of that advice from you, Tim, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you and your, and your team at SI? <laughs> Just go to SIEQ.com and that is going to direct you everywhere. I mean, you're going to see all of our data sets for used equipment, all of that stuff. And then, of course, um, uh, our phone numbers, personal cell phones, everything are on the website because, you know, that's how we do business in the agri world, right? Got to have those connections. And so all of those cell phones are on there, but SIEQ.com is where to get it, buddy. Right on, man. Well, Tim, appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Yes, sir. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for all the latest editions of Moving Iron Podcast. Also go to movingironloc.com for everything Moving Iron related. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Tim Whitley. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. 
This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley has over 33 years in the trucking business, moving ag and construction equipment across the country. For more information, go to valleytransinc.com or give Parker a call at 800-657-4910. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Through the years you'll find a seat